I had but one book of the Bible with which to study with someone, it would be the book of Acts. This wonderful book, written by the beloved physician Luke, is a part of a two-lesson or two-book series. In Acts 1 and verse 1, The former treatise I made with you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. The gospel account provided by Luke told us about Jesus, all that he did and all that he taught. When you come to the book of Acts, this next letter, this next book that Luke provides is so that Theophilus can know what happened following Jesus' great commission. How that these men whom he had appointed would carry the gospel into all the world. Let me begin this morning's lesson, this, our second lesson in this series, by describing the origin and the importance of the origin of the church of Christ. If you'll notice on the screen, it is spelled with a little c, not a capital, because the Lord's church is not a denomination. It's not some sort of a religious group among many other religious groups. We're talking about the church which Jesus established, the one that he promised to build. Matthew 16 and verse 18, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Many people today are in search of their origins. Perhaps you have seen the television commercial by Ancestry Here's a man who is wearing a certain outfit because he thinks he is of Irish descent or he thinks he's of German descent. And then he takes his DNA and after having examined it, they come back and say, oh no, you're another. People need to realize that when we're talking about the church of Christ We need to go back and look at the DNA, so to speak. We need to look and see where the church came from and what God wanted His church to be. The message of the book of Acts captures the meaning and the message of the church. Why did God choose to build the church? Why does it preach the message that it preaches? The role of the apostles... Those 12 men, hand chosen by the Lord to be his apostles, were to carry out the mission of being witnesses to all the world. He said in Acts 1 and verse 8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. We've got to see the Lord's plan for carrying this gospel message. They were men with a message enabled by miracles. And that's really what we're going to study this morning. If you are following along, this is where I want you to see we're going. Number one, we're at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first half of this chapter. The value of this is, is we see the, the beginning of this message preached on the day of Pentecost. Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we're going to look at the sermon itself, the the sermon that Peter preached on that day, and then to see the message of it. 
And so I encourage you this morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the delivery of the Holy Spirit, what the Lord had promised to them in chapter 1, verse 8. We're then going to look at the disbelief of the hearers. Those people who saw that and heard that, how did they respond to that? And then finally, the declaration of the prophets, particularly the prophet Joel. Let's begin, first of all, and Brother Herb has just read for us just a few moments ago, verses 1 through 4. I want to go back and I'm going to try to draw attention to some of the phrases in this section of reading. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When you begin this, you have to understand who they are. In fact, as you end Acts chapter 1, you have the replacement of Judas by the one that was chosen by God, Matthias. And he was numbered with the twelve, and then they, you know now who he's speaking of here in chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, Penta is for five. Pentecost indicates that it's 50 days following the Passover. In fact, if you'll remember, the Lord was crucified at Passover, raised on the first day of the week. But let me draw attention to something that you might not have noticed. In Luke 23, verse 16, God says, Count 50 days to the day after seven Sabbaths, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. And you say, well, I, I know what Pentecost is now. It's a new grain offering day. But the day of Pentecost always fell on Sunday. Seven Sabbaths. And then the day after that seventh Sabbath. So it's always going to begin on Sunday. You begin to understand now that the Lord's church was not begun on the Sabbath day. The Lord's church was begun on Sunday, the first day of the week. I think it's important to capture the sights and the sounds of that day. You've got to remember, this is one of the three major feasts which all Jewish men were required to attend. So the city of Jerusalem would have been bustling with people who were there for the sacrifices. But it's also to, important to remember that these apostles are now, they've been assembled in that upper room in chapter 1 verse 13. It says now they're all together in one accord, that is they're in harmony, they're in one place. And it says there came a sound from heaven. And it says that sound filled the room. 
And that sound was like a rushing mighty wind. I don't know if some of you have thought about it, but every time I'm outside and there's just a really strong wind coming and you can hear it sound through the trees and around the various objects, maybe buildings, and that rushing mighty wind sound, that's what you heard taking place in that room. And it says that sound filled the room. The picture of a a cloven tongue or a divided tongue appearing over each one of them's head like a, a flame of fire. I can visualize that. And then each of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. When you start thinking about the term filling, that's an appropriate word because it's just like the sound filled that room in that house. These men were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus had told them was going to happen. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, He tells them to stay in Jerusalem until they are endued with power from on high. And He says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. These men now have that feeling. You know, Luke 1 verse 15, it talks about John the Baptist. said He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from His mother's womb. When Mary came and greeted Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, it says the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 1, verse 67, now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. These are men who and women now who have the Spirit completely in them. They're full up, if you will. But this filling enabled them to speak in languages that they had not studied. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible and we see the word tongues, people have this idea that it's some unintelligible language. That's not what the text says. We're studying about people who were able to speak a language they had not studied. I spent some time in college studying some other languages. I studied French, which I cannot speak. I'm sure some of you studied languages which you cannot speak. But there's some language I've never studied. Could you imagine someone being able to stand up and speak, for instance, in Russian? Or maybe speak some uh, language like Chinese? Well, when you start looking here, the other tongues is what the Spirit gave them utterance. That is, the Spirit gave them the ability to speak in these languages. Now, how will the crowd respond to what they're observing in these apostles? Well, let's begin with verse 5 and go through verse 13. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are these not all Galileans, or those who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each one, or each in our own language, 
in which we were born. Now listen as he begins to describe where they're from. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya joining with Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Listen carefully now. We hear them speaking in our own language the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. Now you end with them saying, These men are full of new wine. They're mocking. Some people mock what they do not understand. They don't comprehend what's going on and some people are always more than willing to share their opinions on many things and they're saying, well, these guys just must be drunk. But I want you to notice the details of this. These were all Galileans. If you look at the Bible lands, particularly the land of Israel where the children of Israel settled, the promised land. There was a southern part often referred to as Judea. There was that center part of the country called Samaria, which was comprised of mostly a mixed breed of people. But then you go to the north and you have that land in and around the Galilee. This was the rural area. This is where you had people who worked with their hands. These are people who are farmers. They are fishermen. They're people who provide the breadbasket of the country. But something else about them, verse 13 of Acts 4, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Uneducated and untrained. You know, I think most of us who live in the South can identify with the Galileans. People can derive where we're from by the language which we use. How are y'all doing? That's a part of our everyday speech. We speak a little bit slower and a little bit more extended in our speech than perhaps others from various parts of the country. And people, because they're different, will look at us and say, well... Those people from Alabama, now use me, they may not be as educated, they may not be as intelligent. Oh, that just means you don't know. These people work with their hands. They know how to fish. They know how to grow crops. They are educated, just not in the same formal training that others have had. And so, look, are not all these who speak Galileans. You don't expect them to speak in all of these foreign languages. Some were amazed and perplexed. But they do know that this is something from God because they were hearing these people speak. He says, 
the wonderful works of God. This is a religious message. Yes, I may be from Parthia. I may be from Mesopotamia. But do you know what I'm hearing them speak each in our own language? The wonderful works of God. These men are preaching in these various languages. But you see the ignorance of some of the people as they hear this language and that language, they assume that they're just drunk. But Peter's going to say, no, that's not the case. But now let's look and move to verses 14 through 21. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men shall see dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Now I want to pause here for just a minute. Draw attention to a couple of things that you might not have noticed from Joel's prophecy. He said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters. There's not going to be any distinction in the sense that God will give the Spirit to men and He will give the Spirit to women. There will be women who prophesy. Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that there were women who were praying and prophesying in the first century church. He said, your young men shall see vision, your old men shall dream dreams. God would not only provide the Spirit to the young men, but He would also provide it to older men as well. So He's not going to make any distinction whether or not it will go for male or female, nor will He make any distinction for young and old. And on my men's servants and my maid servants, we're talking about slaves. There will be no class distinction. You may have a man who is a slave who has the gift of God, and you may have the master who owned him. He says, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome or great and terrible day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Peter's dispute is here, they're not drunk. It's just the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Someone says, well, you can get drunk in three or four hours. You can today because of distilled alcohol. In the first century, they didn't. Their alcohol didn't contain hardly any alcohol content at all. 
A person had to drink all day long or to use the words of Solomon in the book of Proverbs, they had to tarry long at wine. It's just the third hour of the day. But he said this is what Joel was talking about when he goes back and he looks at Joel's prophecy in Joel 2, 28 through 32. And again, I draw attention to the fact that Peter accurately quoted what Joel said. It'll come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And now I want you to notice particularly verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said among a remnant whom the Lord calls. You see, Joel said there's going to come a time when there will be all these signs, all these great events, and they're going to be tied together with a message. And the message is confirmed by these signs that were a part of them. If you go to Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord was confirmed unto us by those who heard him. Notice, it was a great salvation. It was confirmed by those who heard him. Verse 4, God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gift of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In similar fashion, Mark records the words of Jesus in Matthew, or Mark 16, verse 17. And these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And so the Lord, after he had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word by the accompanying signs. All these signs that they did was to prove the message was true, the message was real. On Pentecost Day, this large group of people are gathered here. What are they hearing? They're hearing the wonderful works of God by people speaking in languages they had not studied. You're beginning to see the signs. But he says these events were to take place before the great and awesome or great and terrible day of the Lord. So what, what do you mean by that great day of the Lord? The day of the Lord in the Bible is always a day of judgment. Sometimes Old Testament prophets were talking about a day of the Lord that was coming in the days of those people living then. It was a day of judgment. But for those in the last days, the Christian age, there is coming a day of judgment. Second Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 
which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Yes. This is going to take place before the Lord's final judgment takes place. But now I want to draw attention to what I think is the key element in all of this. You see, Joel is saying there's going to come the miraculous things. They're going to come and they're going to provide confirmation for the word. All of this will take place before the great and notable day of the Lord. But he said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you go to Romans 10, verse 13, Paul says the same things. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And someone says, okay, I see there. All I have to do is just say, God, save me, and that's good enough. No. You've got to read on with what Paul says to the Romans. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear unless they are sent? And then you drop down to verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Oh, you've got to have a message preached. Yes. That's what Peter is going to do beginning with verse 22 of Acts 2. He's going to preach a sermon. He's going to provide a message that's going to bring about faith in those people. Someone says, well, I want to call upon the name of the Lord. What do I need to do? Let me give you a great example. The Apostle Paul was on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians. And while he was along the way, there was a great shining light that shone about him and it blinded Paul. The Lord said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, Paul, the the goads. And Paul says, what would you have me do? Go to the city and it'll be told you what you must do. He goes to the city of Damascus. He stays there for three days. He's praying. He's fasting. There was ever a sinner's prayer. Paul prayed it. But that's not what Paul was told to do. Ananias arrives and he says, And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, when I call on the name of the Lord is, I'm answering the call the Lord has given to me. He's calling me to be a child of His. He's calling me to be obedient to Him. And when I answer that call by calling back on God... I believe that He is the Christ. I repent of my sins. We're going to see that in chapter 2, verse 38, Lord willing, next week. And then be baptized for the remission of my sins. You see, that's what Paul did. These were men with a message fulfilling God's plan. God had an idea from the very beginning what He wanted to accomplish. And He had a message 
and he provided the means for that to take place. They were enabled by God to fulfill this task. And their message is what brought about the beginning of the Lord's church. The spiritual DNA, if you will, of us as God's people is found in Acts chapter 2. Who we are, why we are, and what God wants us to be. I hope that there's somebody here this morning that after having heard God's word says, that's what I want to do. I want to do what Paul did. I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins. I want the Lord to add me to his body, the church. When we sing the invitation song, if you'll come forward, take a seat on the front up here, we'll assist you in being baptized. If you're a Christian and you look at your life and you say, I see I've messed up. I'm not going the direction God wanted me to go. I'm going my own. and I want to get back on the right path. Why don't you come forward as well? Why don't you come here and let's pray together? What a great privilege it would be this morning to see a new brother or sister in Christ or to see one who's gone astray to come back. Would you come as together we stand and sing?